Paul the Apostle, writing to young Timothy, said this in 2 Timothy 3, 1-4. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Paul, by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, reveals what the future holds He says it's going to be a dismal display of human depravity and sinfulness at its worst, Paul says. The Bible teaches how people will be in love with themselves, focused on themselves. They will be consumed with money. And instead of worshiping God, they will worship themselves, the Bible says. But not only that, but children will be rebellious. They won't listen to their parents. People will, in general, be ungrateful, wicked, out of control, no discipline, gossiping galore, angry, bitter, loving what is good, or loving what is evil instead of what is good, controlled by feelings, full of themselves, living for what is easy, what is pleasing to the flesh, instead of loving and serving God. I know this sounds like our culture, right? The times we are living in now. But I wonder, I wonder how much of this, of what Paul describes, is not just what secular culture deals with, but what we as Christians struggle with as well. Where are we with the list of sinful struggles Paul lays out for us? How do we love self over God? What are ways in our marriages that we put ourselves above our spouse? How about when we're in conflict with our spouse? Does anything on this list remind us of how we act sometimes? What about our children? Are we training them to love the Lord? To be humble? To love what is good? What about individually? Are we lovers of God? Are we lovers of God over lovers of money? Are we lovers of God over lovers of pleasure, entertainment? Well, in general, Paul shows us what it looks like to love self over love for God. And this love for self is really just an intense focus on self. Our world ends up shrinking down to a self-focused, self-oriented, self-driven worship of self, little God we try to put ourselves in. Living for self causes us to become ungrateful. We begin to take everything in our life for granted, only expecting more. We try to do whatever we can to please ourselves, to make ourselves happy because we're controlled by the flesh once again. But the opposite is true as well. 
When we live for God instead of self, our vision begins to expand. Our eyes open up to newfound blessings that we haven't seen. We begin to live with a thankful spirit towards God. Living to please God allows the Holy Spirit to overflow our hearts with gratitude towards Him, recognizing that every good and perfect gift really does truly come from above, comes from our Heavenly Father who loves us. Amen? And this morning we continue our sermon our sermon series in the Psalms, and we'll be in Psalm 16, where David praises and honors the Lord. So you can turn to Psalm 16 right now. But he's walking with the Lord and shows his heart disposition that overflows with gratitude and thanksgiving towards God. It's sort of the opposite of where we started, of what Paul said the future looked like. We can see what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be walking with the Lord. So as we begin this morning, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we thank you for your mercy, your love for us, Father. I ask that you help us to clear our minds. I ask you, Father, to help us, just help us change our hearts, Father, so we can truly be grateful for what you're doing in our lives and that we're not always wishing and hoping that things would change and that this would be better and that we could get this and that this trial would stop and this struggle would stop, but we would just sit and be content, thankful, grateful for all the things that you give us, the things that you do for us, the life that we have in Christ Jesus. Help that to be our passion, our zeal, our glory. Help us to glory in our faith in you. Help us to be used up for you. Help the family church, Father, to be biblically focused, to be in awe of your glory, and to be motivated because of our passion and zeal for Christ Jesus. We thank you for all the blessings you've given us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Psalm 16 says this, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion. And my cup, you hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh Also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to shield or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen? We hear these words and we get a picture of David possibly sitting in the gardens of the palace of his kingdom and reminiscing on God's 
perfect love. As David ponders his life and he thinks about God, he's overwhelmed with thankfulness and gratitude towards the Lord. And this allows us to see the heart of David towards God, his faith, his relationship with God. And similarly, an attitude of gratitude speaks volumes about our faith, our love for God as well. Are we like David in awe, overflowing with thankfulness, with gratefulness towards the Lord this morning? You may be thinking, that's a good question. I'm not exactly sure if I am. Not sure if I'm really grateful. I mean, I thank him sometimes, I think. But um, I'm not really sure. Well, I would ask you, what does your prayer life look like? What does your prayer life look like? And you might be thinking, what does your prayer life have to do with being grateful to God? Well, are you full of thanksgiving and gratitude when you pray? Because when we pray to the Lord, our heart is opened up to the Lord and we speak to Him as we really are usually. What does our prayers look like? A heart full of praise and thanks to God in prayer versus a heart that is ungrateful tells a lot about our relationship, our faith in the Lord. Right? Let's go to verse 1 and 2 and start looking through these verses. And it says this, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. So David literally says, keep me safe, protect me, God. David saw God as his refuge, his shelter. He was his sovereign Lord. David knew without the Lord, he was utterly helpless and useless. He could do nothing. And we have to remember that David was a king not when it was peaceful times. I mean, he was a seasoned warrior. He had battle after battle that he faced. Listen to 2 Samuel 8, 11 through 14, which says this. All the nations he subdued. That's David. All the nations David subdued. From Edom, Moab, and the Ammonites, the Philistines, Amalek, and from the spoil of Hadazar, the son of Rehob, king of Jabbah. And David made a name for himself when he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. Then he put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom, he put garrisons. And all the Edomites became David's servants. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. David knew it was the Lord who protected him. David knew it was the Lord who gave him victory. David didn't say, you know what, my army's so awesome. They're so good that we can take out anybody. Or, you know, my horses, they're so good in battle that they outpower all the enemies. They're so much stronger than everybody else. That's why we win wars. No, he didn't think like that at all. David knew that the Lord was his protector. I will rely on the Lord. That's what David's heart, that's where his heart was, which leads to point number one. We overflow with gratitude because God is our protector. We overflow with gratitude because God is our protector. I love what 
God says in Isaiah 52, 12, he says this, For you shall not go out in haste. You shall not go in flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. So here in Isaiah, we see that the Lord says, Don't rush out. Don't be hasty. Don't be so fearful. I'm going to have your back and your front. I got both sides. I got everything covered. You can trust me. He's everywhere. It's like... They have a force field around them. God's children have a little barrier that protects them. God is our protector. He is our shield. Nothing affects us unless the Lord allows it or wants it to happen. If we get a cold, flu, cancer, broken bones, a bad knee, etc., it all runs through our Lord's loving hands first. God is sovereign over our next breath, church. We can trust him. He is in control of all things. That's what we find out in scripture. And some of us here this morning may be thinking, I know that God is our protector. That's sort of basic, Terry. That's not really why I came to church. It's here that God protects me. That's sort of 101 Christianity. I thought we're going to hear some meat. Well, I would ask you this question. Do we live like he is our protector? Do we live like he is our protector. And then secondly, do we thank God for being our protector? Do we praise him for being our protector? Let's go forward, continuing in Psalm 16, verse 3. David says, As for the saints in the land, they are excellent ones in whom is all my delight. So David says his gratitude for the Lord is so great that his heart just overspills with his gratitude, his love for God's people. David says that God's people are his delight. Maybe David was thinking of his close friendship, fellowship with Jonathan that he would have given his life for. Or maybe David was thinking of his friend Samuel who gave him wisdom and counsel on various occasions. Or maybe David was just thinking of the Christian, the the followers of God that were around the kingdom, that served. We're not sure, but he was praising God for the saints. David says, I have all my delight in the saints. Another word here for delight could be precious ones or takes much pleasure in. So he literally says, I take much pleasure or joy or delight in these saints of the Lord. Which leads to point number two. We overflow with gratitude because God has blessed us with the local church. We overflow with gratitude because God has blessed us with the local church. I wonder if we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ as a true blessing. Do we highly value, highly esteem our church family, the body of Christ that we worship with corporately and are supposed to be serving with corporately and supposed to be living life together? We're called to place ourselves under a local church, not because it's a duty, not because it's a burden. No, we become members of a church because it's a privilege, it's a benefit, it's an honor, it's a protection for us. Amen? 
Amen. John Calvin says, We ought, therefore, to highly value and esteem the true and devoted servants of God and to regard nothing as of greater importance than to connect ourselves with their society. How important is it for us to be a part of the local church that teaches God's word faithfully, that disciples others, that is corporately learning to love God and others as a body in unity? Is this a desire for us? Are we overwhelmed with thankfulness because of the brothers and sisters God has placed in our lives? Well, verse 4 sort of takes a, a turn. David goes on after being so thankful for the saints that we've just discussed. And, and then he goes on to talk about the unbelievers and how they worship false gods. And David does not have the attitude that we hear so much today, well, we can just all worship God in our own way. Whatever we want to do, it's fine because we're all going to the same place. That's not at all what David says. David says this, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. That's what David's perspective was of false religions. David says their false worship will lead to much sorrow and more sadness. And David mentions blood offerings because in his culture, they sacrificed animals and they sacrificed humans to their false religions. In David's day, sacrificing an infant or a baby or a child to Moloch or other false gods was just the way it was. That's what they did. And David says their wicked worship, because they worship a false god, will lead to further sadness and pain because God will curse them. What about us today? Do we have any more false religions? Is there any false religion around now? Or are there any cults that pose as Christian in our day? Well, there's a plethora of false religions, and there's many cults that pose as Christianity. I'll just name a few of them, just because I think it's important for us to be on guard against false teachers. Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses, Christian Scientology. These are cults, not Christian at all. They are false religions that twist God's word and even add to their Add to God's word and put their own spin on what scripture says. Deuteronomy 12, 32, and we could have went to numerous places, says this, everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take away from it. God's word severely warns us. When we start adding things to the scriptures, like Latter-day Saints has their own scriptures, right? They add to the word of God. There's numerous false religions that do that. And I don't know if we have the right perspective on how to deal with them. So we need to make sure that we see what false religions are versus the true religion. But David goes on in verses 5 and 6. Psalm 16, and he says this, The Lord is my portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in a pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. So David uses metaphorical language here as he talks about God as his chosen portion, which means the portion would usually refer to food, and then a cup would refer to drink, and a lot refers to a place to live. So this is really what David's trying to say. Like a meal that nourishes the body, like a home that gives warmth and security, God is my sustenance. God is my nourishment. 
God is my provision. That's what David's saying, which leads to point number three. We overflow with gratitude because God nourishes us spiritually. We overflow with gratitude because God nourishes us spiritually. Turn with me to John 15, verses 4 and 5. John 15, verses 4 and 5. This is Jesus speaking, and this is what he says. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in them, he is that who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus says when we trust him, when we walk in him, then we're spiritually healthy. Christ is the one who gives us spiritual life. In essence, we have to be plugged into the source. Then we're able to live out the commands of God, living for his glory. But I must say it's easy for us often to fall into a trap of depending on ourselves. When we say things like this, I just have to try harder, or I just have to work harder at this. This reveals that we're trying to work in our own strength through our own sheer willpower instead of working in the Spirit. That means we're trying to work outside the vine. We're trying to help ourselves without Christ. In essence, we are powerless, Christ says. Christ says we can do nothing without him working in us and through us. But on the other hand, when I am depending on Christ and walking in the Spirit, I can love my wife correctly. I can train my children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I can serve others. I can speak words of encouragement. I can walk against the flesh, the world, and Satan by the power of the Holy Spirit working through us. In Christ, we work on our struggles God's way. That means we follow God's word, and that shows we are connected to Christ. And as we trust him, he will work through us and in us. Let's continue on in verse 7 of Psalm 16. He says this, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. So David says, I praise the Lord because he counsels me. The question, though, is how does the Lord actually counsel David on a daily basis? How does, the Lord, how does the Lord actually give him or instructs David? It's a question that I think we have to ponder because many would say that counsel from the Lord comes from when we follow our heart or we follow an inner feeling that's inside of us. Our gut tells us this, so we think that must be from the Lord. Or we follow the way of least resistance. A door opens and we assume, oh, that must be the Lord, right? That's how we sort of think. Or we look for a sign. Or we look for a sign. We look for a sign so so we look into the sky and we see a cloud and it makes some type of shape. Or we see a tree that's blowing in the wind a certain way. Or a symbol. Or we get a phone call. We hear somebody mention something that we're thinking about and somehow something we encounter from somewhere seems to be a sign from God. Did you follow me on that? I must say, looking for signs is very subjective. It's a dangerous way to make choices. It's like reading a fortune cookie. We become mystics, fortune tellers. We start looking for signs behind every corner. 
David received counsel from the Lord because he meditated, he wrestled with, he studied God's inerrant, infallible, holy word. The majority of the time, David received his counsel from Scripture. We would say also, though, that God uses people in our lives to give us wisdom and counsel, right? Godly brothers and sisters as well. But most of the time, it was through God's holy word that David was led. Listen to what David says in Psalm 119, starting in verse 24. I'm just going to hit a few of these verses. He says this, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Verse 48, I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Verse 105 says this, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. David was saturated in the word of God. He delights in it, it says. He says he gets his counsel from scripture day and night. He's meditating on what the word of God is that he's been reading. He allows God's word to guide him. That's how God counseled him, which leads to point number four. We overflow with gratitude because God guides us with his word. We overflow with gratitude because God guides us with his word. Are we saturated, filled up, walking in God's word that bubbles up out of us like David? David says, even when he lays down, even his heart continues to instruct him. And and possibly a better translation for heart would be inner man here, which is the deepest part of us. So the inner man continues to remind David of what he has been meditating on through the day. That's how much he is in God's word. How grateful are we that we have God's word to read, to study. This is how we know Christ. This is how we know God's will through the scriptures. This is how we're supposed to make decisions. Martin Luther once said this. For some years now, I've read through the Bible twice every year. If you picture the Bible to be a mighty tree and every word a little branch, I have shaken every one of these branches because I wanted to know what it was and what it meant. Are we exploring the riches of God's word like Martin Luther? Mining the treasures, seeking the wisdom, knowing God all the more, walking by the Spirit, learning to walk more like Christ. This is what God's word enables us to do when we embrace scripture as our single authority in our life. Is God's word our authority? Are we living by it? Well, let's move on to Psalm 16.8. Psalm 16.8. And David says, I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Well, David says, from spending time in the law, the precepts, the commandments, the testimonies, the, the commandments of God, the truth of God's word, I have the Lord always before me, right? This is comparable to having a scratch on your sunglasses, Right? Well, everywhere you look, you see that scratch, right? You look at the beautiful Marco blue sky, and it looks so great, but you have that scratch right in the middle of your vision. Or you're looking at Residence Beach, of course, at the sunset, and you have that scratch all the while in your vision as you're trying to see God's handiwork. 
A scratched lens is always in your vision. Well, David had God at the forefront of his vision because David had God in his heart and mind. David saw God in every situation. Dave, David had God always before him, everywhere he went. What about us? Is Christ in our vision? Is he before us this morning as we look around? What about when we came to church this morning? Getting the children ready, ready for service. What about how we talked to our wives as we all got ready for church and we ate breakfast or whatever we did? Did we have Christ before us this morning? What about when we were singing songs corporately to our sovereign Lord? Did we have Christ at the forefront of our worship? What about when we're watching a movie? Is Christ at the forefront of our, of our thoughts, of our minds? Or when we turn on the computer, is he at the forefront when we click from sight to sight? Is Christ at the forefront of our minds? Christ has to be the forefront of our minds as Christians. We need to be spending time in the Word so it just bubbles up out of us like David. But let's continue to go on here. Psalm 16, 9 through 11. Psalm 16, 9 through 11. And David says this. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh always dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So David starts by saying, therefore, in verse 9. And therefore implies that David is referring to everything he has just told us, everything that he has just said. David says, I'm full of gratitude because God is my protector. He's my protector. He gives me the body of believers. He spiritually nourishes me. He also gives me the word of God to sit and soak in and meditate on. And because of all this, David says, I am safe in the arms of God, and I am thankful for his love that is poured out on me. That's what he's saying, which leads to point number five here. We overflow with gratitude because we are secure in Christ. Point number five says we overflow with gratitude because we are secure in Christ. I remember when I was a little guy, I had the same security in my earthly father. I trusted my dad. I knew he would take care of us. He would protect us. I knew that he would work hard to make sure we had food to eat. I had my confidence in my dad as a child. Well, this is the same way David sees God. His holy father, our holy father as well. Well, turn with me to 1 John 3, 1 and 2. 1 John 3, 1 and 2. This is a great passage. just fills us up. This is what John says. See what kind of love the Father has given us? That we should be called children of God, and so we are. 
The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But when we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Well, in conclusion, the Father has poured out his love on us. In Christ, we are secure in this life and the next. We are heirs of Christ, adopted in the family of God. This is good news. And if we were fatherless, in Christ, we now have the living God as our Father. We are now, we are never alone. We are never forsaken. As our Heavenly Father always does what glorifies Himself and does what is best for us. Oh, how great the gratefulness and thankfulness that should pour out of us because of such divine truths. What love, what blessings, what joy we should have in Christ Jesus. Well, some of us, maybe a lot of us, need to examine ourselves this morning to see if we are full of gratitude. Maybe, just maybe, we realize we've been too focused on what we don't have. Or maybe we've been too focused on the struggles, the problems, the trials that we've been going through, and it's consumed us. And we've realized that we've left our first love, Christ Jesus. In Revelation, we learn that the church of Ephesus left their first love as well. And God told them what? To repent, right? To repent and similarly Brothers and sisters, it hasn't changed. We must repent as well. We need to turn back to Christ. If we've been consumed by the things of this world, if we've been consumed with the problems in our lives, we have set them above God. And Christ says, repent. Turn back to me. Revel in me again. Find your fulfillment in me once again. May we as a church overflow with gratitude for Christ as the Father gave His Son, so that we could actually be children of God and live for Him for all eternity. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, what love You bestowed on us. What grace You pour out on us daily. As wicked as we still are, as how much we struggle, even as Christians, You continue just to love us, being so unlovable so many times. Help us, Father, to deal with our pride, to deal with our lack of love, to deal with our thinking we know better than other people attitude. Father, help us to submit and turn to you and feed on your word for wisdom, for humility, for the fruits of the Spirit, Father, because we're commanded to, Father, Help us to be diligent seekers of your word. Help us not to give in to entertainment and waste time, but to be diligent seeking and saving the lost like we're called to be, Father. We thank you for your word. We thank you that David sits back and just revels and overflows in gratitude for you. Help us to be like that, to be content where you have us at this very moment. We thank you for Christ. In him we pray. Amen.